Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Volume 3, Chapter 4. Hazel Motes got out of Mrs. Watt's bed early in the morning, before any light came into the room. When he woke up, her arm was flung across him. He leaned up and lifted it off and eased it down by her side, but he didn't look at her. There was only one thought in his mind. He was going to buy a car. The thought was full-grown in his head when he woke up, and he didn't think of anything else. He had never thought before of buying a car. He had never even wanted one before. He had driven one only a little in his life, and he didn't have a license. He had only $50, but he thought he could buy a car for that. He got stealthily out of the bed without disturbing Mrs. Watts and put on his clothes silently. By 6.30, he was downtown looking for a used car lot. Used car lots were scattered among blocks of old buildings that separated the business section from the railroad yards. He wandered around in a few of them before they were open. He could tell from the outside of the lot it would have a $50 car in it. When they began to open for business, he went through them quickly, paying no attention to anyone who tried to show him the stock. His black hat sat on his head with a careful, placed expression, and his face had a fragile look as if it might have been broken and stuck together again, or like a gun no one knows is loaded. It was a wet, glary day. The sky was like a piece of thin, polished silver, with a dark, sour-looking sun in one corner of it. By ten o'clock he had canvassed all the better lots and was nearing the railroad yards. Even here the lots were full of cars that cost more than fifty dollars. Finally he came to one between two deserted warehouses. The sign over the entrance said, Slades for the latest. There was a gravel road going down the middle of the lot, and over to one side near the front, a tin shack with the word Office painted on the door. The rest of the lot was full of old cars and broken machinery. A white boy was sitting on a gasoline can in front of the office. He had the look of being there to keep people out. He wore a black raincoat and his face was partly hidden under a leather cap. There was a cigarette hanging out of one corner of his mouth and the ash on it was about an inch long. Hayes started off toward the back of the lot where he saw a particular car. Hey! the boy yelled. You don't just walk in here like that. I'll show you what I got to show. But Hayes didn't pay any attention to him. He went on toward the back of the lot where he saw the car. The boy came huffing behind him, cursing. The car he saw was on the last row of cars. It was a high rat-colored machine with large thin wheels and bulging headlights. When he got to it, he saw that one door was tied on with a rope and that it had an oval window in the back. This was the car he was going to buy. Let me see Slade, he said. What you want to see him for? The boy asked in a testy voice. He had a wide mouth, and when he talked, he used one side of it only. I want to see him about this car, Hayes said. I'm him, the boy said. His face under the cap was like a thin picked eagle's. He sat down on the running board of a car across the gravel road and kept on cursing. Hayes walked around the car. 
Then he looked through the window at the inside of it. Inside it was a dull greenish dust color. The back seat was missing, but it had a two-by-four stretched across the seat frame to sit on. There were dark green-fringed window shades on the two side-back windows. He looked through the two front windows and he saw the boys sitting on the running board of the car across the gravel road. He had one trouser leg hitched up and he was scratching his ankle that stuck up out of a pulp of yellow sock. He cursed right down in his throat as if he were trying to get up phlegm. The two window glasses made him a yellow color and distorted his shape. Hayes moved quickly from the far side of the car and came around to the front. How much is it? he asked. Jesus on the cross, the boy said. Christ nailed. How much is it? Hayes growled, paling a little. How much you think it's worth? The boy said. Give us an estimate. It ain't worth what it would take to cart it off. I wouldn't have it. The boy gave all his attention to his ankle where there was a scab. Hayes looked up and saw a man coming from between two cars over the boy's side. As he came closer, he saw the man looked exactly like the boy, except that he was two heads taller and he had on a sweat-stained brown felt hat. He was coming up behind the boy between a row of cars. When he got just behind him, he stopped, waited a second, and then, in a sort of controlled roar, said, Get your butt off that running board! The boy snarled and disappeared, scrambling between two cars. The man stood looking at Hayes. What do you want? He asked. This here car? Hayes said. Seventy-five dollars, the man said. On either side of the lot there were two old buildings, reddish with black empty windows, and behind there was another without any windows. I'm obliged, Hayes said, and he started back toward the office. When he got to the entrance, he glanced back and saw the man about four feet behind him. We might argue it some, the man said. Hayes followed him back to where the car was. You won't find a car like this every day, the man said. He sat down on the running board that the boy had been sitting on. Hayes didn't see the boy, but he was there, sitting up on the hood of a car two cars over. He was sitting huddled up as if he were freezing, but his face had a sour, composed look. All new tires, the man said. Yeah, they were new when it was built, Hayes said. There was better cars built a few years ago, the man said. They don't make no more good cars. What do you want for it, Hayes asked again. The man stared off, thinking. After a while, he said, I could let you have it for sixty-five. Hayes leaned over the car and started to roll a cigarette, but he couldn't get it rolled. He kept spilling the tobacco and then dropping the papers. Well, what you want to pay for it? The man asked. I wouldn't trade me a Chrysler for an Essex like that. That car yonder ain't been built by a bunch of niggers. All the niggers are living in Detroit now, putting cars together, he said, making conversation. I was up there a while myself and seen... I wouldn't pay over $30 for it, Hayes said. They got one nigger up there, the man said, almost as light as you or me. He took off his hat and ran his finger around the sweatband inside it. He had a little bit of carrot-colored hair. 
We'll drive it around, the man said. Or would you like to get under it and look up it? No, Hayes said. The man gave him a half look. You pay when you leave, he said easily. You don't find what you're looking for in one, there are others for the same price. Obliged to have it. Two cars over, the boy began to curse again. It was like a hacking cough. Hayes turned suddenly and kicked his foot into the front tire. I done told you them tires won't bust, the man said. How much, Hayes said. I can make it fifty dollar, the man offered. Before Hayes bought the car, the man put some gas in it and drove him around a few blocks to prove it would run. The boy sat hunched up in the back on the two-by-four, cursing. Something's wrong with that boy. How come he curses so much? The man said. Just don't listen at him. The car rode with a high growling noise. The man put on the brakes to show how well they worked, and the boy was thrown off the two-by-four at their heads. Damn you, the man roared. Quit jumping at us that way. Keep your butt on the board. The boy didn't say anything. He didn't even curse. Hayes looked back and he was sitting huddled up in the black raincoat with the black leather cap pulled down almost to his eyes. The only thing different was that the ash had been knocked off his cigarette. He bought the car for forty dollars. And then he paid the man extra for five gallons of gas. The man had the boy go into the office and bring out a five-gallon can to fill up the tank with. The boy came cursing and lugging the yellow gas can and bent over almost double. Give it here, Hayes said. I'll do it myself. He was in a terrible hurry to get away in the car. The boy jerked the can away from him and straightened up. It was only half full, but he held it over the tank until five gallons would have spilled out slowly. All the time he kept saying, Sweet Jesus! Sweet Jesus! Sweet Jesus! Why don't he ever shut up? Hayes says suddenly. What's he keep talking like that for? I don't know what ails him, the man said and shrugged. When the car was ready, the man and boy stood by to watch him drive off. He didn't want anybody watching him because he hadn't driven a car in four or five years. The man and boy didn't say anything while he tried to start it and only stood there looking in at him. I wanted this car mostly to be a house for me, he said to the man. I ain't got any place to be. You ain't took the brake off yet, the man observed. He took off the brake and the car shot backwards because the man had left it in reverse. In a second, he got it going forward, and he drove off crookedly, past the man and boy, still standing there watching. He kept going forward, thinking nothing and sweating, and for a long time he stayed on the street he was on. He had a hard time holding the car in the road. He went past railroad yards for about a half mile and then warehouses. When he tried to slow the car down, it stopped altogether, and then he had to start it again. He went past long blocks of gray houses and then blocks of better yellow houses. It began to drizzle rain, and he turned on the windshield wipers. They made a great clatter like two idiots clapping in church. He went past blocks of white houses, each sitting with an ugly dog face on a square of grass. 
Finally, he went over a viaduct and found the highway. He began going very fast. The highway was ragged with filling stations and trailer camps and roadhouses. After a while, there were stretches where red gullies dropped off on either side of the road, and behind them were patches of field buttoned together with 666 posts. The sky leaked all over it and then began to leak into the car. The head of a string of pigs appeared snout up over the ditch, and he began to screech to a stop and watch the rear of the last pig disappear, shaking into the ditch on the other side. He started the car again and went on. He had the feeling that everything he saw was a broken-off piece of some giant blank thing he had forgotten had happened to him. A black pickup truck turned off a side road in front of him. On the back of it, an iron bed and a chair and table were tied, and on top of them, a crate of bare rock chickens. The truck went very slowly with a rumbling sound, and in the middle of the road, Hayes started pounding his horn, and he hit it three times before he realized it wasn't making any noise. The crate was stuffed so full of wet, bared rock chickens that the ones facing him had their heads outside the bars. The truck didn't go any faster, and he was forced to drive slowly. The fields stretched sodden on either side until they hit the scrub pines. The road turned and went downhill, and a high embankment appeared on one side with pines standing on it facing a gray boulder that jutted out of the opposite gully wall. White letters on the boulder said, Woe to the blasphemer and the whoremonger. Will hell swallow you up? The pickup truck slowed even more, as if it were reading the sign, and Hayes pounded his empty horn. He beat on it and beat on it, but it didn't make any sound. The pickup truck went on, bumping the glum, bared rock chickens over the edge of the next hill. Hayes' car was stopped and his eyes were turned toward the two words at the bottom of the sign. They said in smaller letters, Jesus saves. He looked at the sign and he didn't hear the horn. An oil truck as long as a railroad car was behind him. In a second, a red square face was at his car window. It watched the back of his neck and hat for a minute and then a hand came in and sat on his shoulder. What are you doing parked in the middle of the road? The truck driver asked. Hayes turned his fragile, place-looking face toward him. Take your hand off me. I'm reading the sign, he said. The driver's expression and his hand stayed exactly the way they were, as if he didn't hear very well. There's no person a whoremonger who wasn't something worse first, Hayes said. That's not the sin, nor blasphemy. The sin came before them. The truck driver's face remained exactly the same. Jesus is a trick on niggers, Hayes said. The driver put both his hands on the window and gripped it. He looked as if he intended to pick up the car. Will you get your damn outhouse out of the middle of the road, he said. I don't have to run from anything because I don't believe in anything, Hayes said. He and the driver looked at each other for about a minute. Hayes' look was more distant. Another plan was forming in his mind. Which direction does the zoo in? he asked. Back around the other way, 
Did you escape from there? The driver asked. I got to see a boy that works in it, Hayes said. He started the car up and left the driver standing there in front of the letters painted on the boulder. Chapter 5 That morning, Enoch Emery knew when he woke up that today the person he could show it to was going to come. He knew by his blood. He had wise blood like his daddy. At two o'clock that afternoon, he greeted the second shift gate guard. You ain't but only fifteen minutes late, he said irritably. But I stayed. I could have went on, but I stayed. He wore a green uniform with yellow piping on the neck and sleeves and a yellow stripe down the outside of each leg. The second shift guard, a boy with a jutting shale-textured face and a toothpick in his mouth, wore the same. The gate they were standing by was made of iron bars, and the concrete arch that held it was fashioned to look like two trees. Branches curved to form the top, where twisted letters said, City Forest Park. The second shift guard leaned against one of the trunks and began prodding between his teeth with the pick. Every day, Enoch complained. Looked like every day. I lose good fifteen minutes standing here waiting for you. Every day when he got off duty, he went into the park. And every day when he went in, he did the same things. He went first to the swimming pool. He was afraid of water, but he liked to sit on the bank above it, if there were any women in the pool, and watch them. There was one woman who came every Monday who wore a bathing suit that was split on each hip. At first he thought she didn't know it. Instead of watching openly on the bank, he had crawled into some bushes, snickering to himself, and had watched from there. There had been no one else in the pool, the crowds didn't come until four o'clock, to tell her about the splits, and she had splashed around in the water and then lain up on the edge of the pool asleep for almost an hour. All the time, without suspecting, there was somebody in the bushes looking at her. Then on another day, when he stayed a little later, he saw three women, all with their suits split, the pool full of people, and nobody paying them any mind. That was how the city was, always surprising him. He visited a whore when he felt like it, but he was always being shocked by the looseness he saw in the open. He crawled into the bushes out of a sense of propriety. Very often the women would pull the suit straps down off their shoulders and lie stretched out. The park was the heart of the city. He had come to the city and, with a knowing in his blood, had established himself in the heart of it. Every day he looked at the heart of it. Every day. And he was so stunned and awed and overwhelmed that just to think about it made him sweat. There was something in the center of the park that he had discovered. It was a mystery, although it was right there in a glass case for everybody to see and there was a typewritten card over it telling all about it. But there was something the card couldn't say, and what it couldn't say was inside him, a terrible knowledge without any words to it, a terrible knowledge like a big nerve growing inside him. He could not show the mystery to anybody, but he had to show it to somebody. Who he had to show it to was a special person. This person could not be from the city, but he didn't know why. 
He knew he would know him when he saw him, and he knew that he would have to see him soon, or the nerve inside him would grow so big he'd be forced to steal a car or rob a bank or jump out of a dark alley onto a woman. His blood all morning had been saying the person would come today. He left the second shift guard and approached the pool from a discreet footpath that led behind the ladies' end of the bathhouse to a small clearing where the entire pool could be seen at once. There was nobody in it. The water was bottle green and motionless. But he saw, coming up the other side and heading for the bathhouse, the woman with two little boys. She came every other day or so and brought the two children. She would go in the water with them and swim down the pool, then she would lie up on the side in the sun. She had a stained white bathing suit that fit her like a sack, and Enoch had watched her with pleasure on several occasions. He moved from the clearing up a slope to some abelia bushes. There was a nice tunnel under them, and he crawled into it until he came to a slightly wider place that he was accustomed to. He settled himself and adjusted the abelia so that he could see through it properly. His face was always very red in the bushes. Anyone who parted the abelia sprigs at just that place would think that they had seen the devil, and would fall down the slope and into the pool. The woman and the two little boys entered the bathhouse. Enoch never went immediately to the dark secret center of the park. That was the peak of the afternoon. The other things he did built up to it. When he left the bushes, he would go to the frosty bottle, a hot dog stand in the shape of an orange crush, with frost painted in blue around the top of it. Harry would have a chocolate malted milkshake and make some suggestive remarks to the waitress, whom he believed to be secretly in love with him. After that, he would go see the animals. They were in a long set of steel cages like Alcatraz Penitentiary in the movies. The cages were electrically heated in the winter and air-conditioned in the summer, and there were six men hired to wait on the animals and feed them T-bone steaks. The animals didn't do anything but lie around. Enoch watched them every day, full of awe and hate. And then he went there. The two little boys ran out of the bathhouse and dived into the water, and simultaneously a grating noise issued from the driveway on the other side of the pool. Enoch's head pierced out of the bushes. He saw a high, rat-colored car passing, which sounded as if its motor were dragging out the back. The car passed, and he could hear it rattle around the turn of the drive and on away. He listened carefully, trying to hear if it would stop. The noise receded and then gradually grew louder. The car passed again. Enoch saw this time that there was only one person in it, a man. The sound of it died away again and then grew louder. The car came around a third time and stopped almost directly opposite Enoch across the pool. The man in the car looked out the window and down the grass slope to the water where the two little boys were splashing and screaming. Enoch's head was as far out of the bushes as it would come, and he was squinting. The door by the man was tied on with a rope. The man got out the other door and walked in front of the car and came halfway down the slope to the pool. He stood there a minute as if he were looking for somebody, then he sat down stiffly on the grass. He had on a blue suit and a black hat. He sat with his knees drawn up.
Well, I'll be dog, Enoch said. He began crawling out of the bushes immediately, his heart moving so fast it was like one of those motorcycles at fairs that the fellow drives around the walls of a pit. He even remembered the man's name, Mr. Hazel Mokes. In a second he appeared on all fours at the end of the abelia and looked across the pool. The blue figure was still sitting there in the same position. He had the look of being held there as if by an invisible hand, as if, if the hand lifted up, the figure would spring across the pool in one leap without the expression on his face changing once. The woman came out of the bathhouse and went to the diving board. She spread her arms out and began to bounce, making a big flapping sound with the board. Then suddenly she swirled backwards and disappeared below the water. Mr. Hazel Motes's head turned very slowly, following her down the pool. Enoch got up and went down the path behind the bathhouse. He came stealthily out on the other side and started walking toward Hayes. He stayed on top of the slope, moving softly in the grass just off the sidewalk and making no noise. When he was directly behind him, he sat down on the edge of the sidewalk. If his arms had been ten feet long, he could have put his hands on Hayes' shoulders. He studied him quietly. The woman was climbing out of the pool, chinning herself up on the side. First her face appeared, long and cadaverous, with a bandage-like bathing cap coming down almost to her eyes, and sharp teeth protruding from her mouth. Then she rose on her hands until a large foot and leg came up from behind her, and another on the other side, and she was out, squatting there, panting. She stood up loosely and shook herself, and stamped in the water dripping off her. She was facing them, and she grinned. Enoch could see part of Hazel Motes's face watching the woman. It didn't grin in return, but it kept on watching her as she padded over to a spot of sun almost directly under where they were sitting. Enoch had to move a little closer to see. The woman sat down in the spot of sun and took off her bathing cap. Her hair was short and matted, and all colors from deep rust to a greenish yellow. She shook her head and then looked up at Hazel Motes again, grinning through her pointed teeth. She stretched herself out in the spot of sun, raising her knees and settling her backbone down against the concrete. The two little boys at the other end of the water were knocking each other's heads against the side of the pool. She settled herself until she was flat against the concrete, and then she reached up, and pull the bathing suit straps off her shoulders. King Jesus, Enoch whispered, and before he could get his eyes off the woman, Hazel Motes had sprung up and was almost to his car. The woman was sitting straight up with the suit half off her front, and Enoch was looking both ways at once. He wrenched his attention loose from the woman and darted after Hazel Motes. Wait for me, he shouted, and waved his arms in front of the car, which was already rattling and starting to go. Hazel Motes cut off the motor. His face behind the windshield was sour and frog-like. It looked as if it had a shout closed up in it. It looked like one of those closet doors in gangster pictures where somebody is tied up to a chair behind it with a towel in his mouth, 
Well, Enoch said, I declare if it ain't Hazel Moats. How are you, Hazel? The guard said I'd find you at the swimming pool, Hazel Moats said. He said you hid in the bushes and watched the swimming. Enoch blushed. I always admire swimming, he said, and then he stuck his head farther through the window. You were looking for me? He exclaimed. That blind man, he said. That blind man named Hawks. Did his child tell you where they lived? Enoch didn't seem to hear. You came out here special to see me? He said. Asa Hawks. His child gave you the peeler. Did she tell you where they lived? Enoch eased his head out of the car. He opened the door and climbed in beside Hayes. For a minute, he only looked at him, wetting his lips, and then he whispered, I got to show you something. I'm looking for those people, Hayes said. I got to see that man. Did she tell you where they lived? I got to show you this thing, Enoch said. I got to show it to you. Here, this afternoon, I, I got to. He gripped Hazel Moat's arm and Hayes shook him off. Did she tell you where they live? He repeated again. Enoch kept wetting his lips. They were pale except for his fever blister, which was purple. Certainly. Ain't she invited me to come to see her and bring my mouth organ? I gotta show you this thing, then I'll tell you. What thing? Hayes muttered. This thing I got to show you, Enoch said. Drive on straight ahead and I'll tell you where to stop. I don't want to see anything of yours, Hazelmoat said. I want that address. Enoch didn't look at Hazel Moats. He looked out the window. I won't be able to remember it unless you come, he said. In a minute, the car started. Enoch's blood was beating fast. He knew he had to go to the Frosty Bottle in the zoo before there, and he foresaw a terrible struggle with Hazel Moats. He would have to get him there even if he had to hit him over the head with a rock and carry him on his back up to it. Enoch's brain was divided into two parts. The part in communication with his blood did the figuring, but it never said anything in words. The other part was stocked up with all kinds of words and phrases. While the first part was figuring out how to get Hazel Moats through the frosty bottle in the zoo, the second inquired, Where'd you get this year fine car? You ought to paint you some signs on the outside of it, like, Step in, baby. I seen one like that. Then I seen another that said, Hazel Moats' face might have been cut out of the side of a rock. My daddy once owned a yeller Ford automobile. He won on a ticket, Enoch murmured. It had a roll top and two aerials, and a squirrel tail all come with it. He swapped it off. Wait, stop here, 
Stop here! He yelled. They were passing the frosty bottle. Where is it? Hazel said as soon as they were inside. They were in a dark room with a counter across the back of it and brown stools like toadstools in front of the counter. On the wall facing the door there was a large advertisement for ice cream showing a cow dressed up like a housewife. It ain't here, Enoch said. We have to stop here on the way and get something to eat. What you want? Nothing, Hayes said. He stood stiffly in the middle of the room with his hands in his pockets. Well, sit down. I have to have a little drink. Something stirred behind the counter, and a woman with bobbed hair like a man's got up from a chair where she had been reading the newspaper and came forward. She looked sourly at Enoch. She had on a once white uniform clotted with brown stains. What you want? she said in a loud voice, leaning close to his ear. She had a man's face and big muscled arms. I want a chocolate malted milkshake, baby girl, Enoch said softly. I want a lot of ice cream in it. She turned fiercely from him and glared at Hayes. He says he don't want nothing but to sit down and look at you for a while, Enoch said. He ain't hungry but for just to see you. Hayes looked woodenly at the woman, and she turned her back on him and began mixing the milkshake. He sat down on the last stool in the row and started cracking his knuckles. Enoch watched him carefully. I reckon you done changed some, he said after a few minutes. Hayes got up. Give me those people's address, right now, he said. It came to Enoch in an instant. The police. His face was suddenly suffused with secret knowledge. I reckon you ain't as uppity as you was last night. I reckon maybe you ain't got so much cause now as you had then. Must have stole that there automobile, he thought to himself. Hazel Moat sat back down. How's it come you jumped up so fast down yonder by the pool? Enoch asked. The woman turned around to him with the malted milk in her hand. Of course, I wouldn't have had no truck with an ugly dish like that, neither. The woman thumped the chocolate milk on the counter in front of him. Fifteen cents, she roared. You're worth more than that, baby girl, Enoch said. He snickered and began gassing his malted milk through the straw. The woman strode over to where Hayes was. What you in here with a son of a bitch like that for? She shouted. Nice quiet boy like you come in here with a son of a bitch. You ought to mind the company you keep. Her name was Maud and she drank whiskey all day from her fruit jar under the counter. Jesus, she said, wiping her hand across her nose. She sat down in a straight chair in front of Hayes, but facing Enoch, and folded her hands across her chest. Every day, she said to Hayes, looking at Enoch, 
Every day, that son of a bitch comes in here. Enoch was thinking about the animals. They had to go next to see the animals. He hated them. Just thinking about them made his face turn a chocolate purple color, as if the malted milk were rising in his head. You're a nice boy, she said. I can see you got a clean nose. Well, keep it clean. Don't go messing with a son of a bitch like that yonder. I always know a clean boy when I see one. She was shouting at Enoch, but Enoch watched Hazel Motes. It was as if something inside Hazel Motes was winding up, although he didn't move on to the outside. He only looked pressed down in that blue suit, as if inside it, the thing winding was getting tighter and tighter. Enoch's blood told him to hurry. He raced the milkshake up the straw. Yes, sir, she said. There ain't anything sweeter than a clean boy. God for my witness, and I know a clean one when I see one. I know a son of a bitch when I see one, too. There's a heap of difference. And that pus-marked bastard slurping through that straw is a damn son of a bitch. And you, a clean boy, had better mind how you keep him company. I know a clean boy when I see one. Enoch screeched to the bottom of his glass. He fished 15 cents from his pocket and laid it on the counter and got up. But Hazel Most was already up. He was leaning over the counter toward the woman. She didn't see him right away because she was looking at Enoch. He leaned on his hands over the counter until his face was just a foot from hers. She turned around and stared at him. Come on, Enoch started. We don't have no time to be sassing around with her. I got to show you this thing right away. I gotta... I am clean, Hayes said. It was not until he said it again that Enoch caught the words. I am clean, he said again, without any expression on his face or in his voice, just looking at the woman as if he were looking at a wall. Jesus existed. I wouldn't be clean, he said. She stared at him, startled and then outraged. What you think I care, she yelled. Why should I give a damn what you are? Come on, Enoch whined. Come on, or I won't tell you where them people live. He caught Hayes' arm and pulled him back from the counter toward the door. You bastard, the woman screamed. What do you think I care about any of you filthy boys? Hazel Motes pushed the door open quickly and went out. He got in his car, and Enoch climbed in behind him. Okay, Enoch said. Drive straight on ahead down this road. What do you want for telling me? Hayes said. I'm not staying here. I gotta go. I can't stay here any longer. Enoch shuddered. He began wetting his lips. I got to show it to you, he said hoarsely. I can't show it to nobody but you. I had a sign it was you when I seen you drive up at the pool. I knew all morning somebody was going to come, and then when I saw you at the pool, I had this here sign. I don't care about your signs, he said. I go to see it every day. 
Enoch said. I go every day, but I ain't ever been able to take nobody else with me. I had to wait on the sign. I'll tell you them people's address just as soon as you see it. You've got to see it. When you see it, something's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen, he said. He started the car again, and Enoch sat forward on the seat. Them animals, he muttered. We got to walk by them first. Won't take long for that. It won't take but a minute. He saw the animals waiting evil-eyed for him, ready to throw him off time. He thought, what if the police were screaming out here now with sirens and squad cars, and they got hazel moats just before he showed it to them? I got to see those people, Hayes said. Stop here, stop here, Enoch yelled. There was a long shining row of steel cages over to the left, and behind the bars, black shapes were sitting or pacing. Get out, this won't take but a second. Hayes got out and then he stopped. I got to see those people, he said. Okay, okay, come on then. I don't believe you know the address. I do, I do, Enoch cried. It begins with a three. Now come on. He pulled Hayes toward the cages. Two black bears sat on the first one, facing each other like two matrons having tea, their faces polite and self-absorbed. They don't do nothing but sit there all day and stink, Enoch said. A man comes, washes them cages out every morning with a hose, and it stinks just as much as if he'd left it. He went past two more cages of bears, not looking at them. Then he stopped at the next cage, where there were two yellow-eyed wolves nosing around the edges of the concrete. Hyenas! I ain't got no use for hyenas! he said. He leaned closer and spit into the cage, hitting one of the wolves on the leg. It shuttled to the side, giving him a slanted evil look. For a second, he forgot Hazel Motes. Then he looked back quickly to make sure he was still there. He was right behind him. He was not looking at the animals. Thinking about them police, Enoch thought, and he said, Come on! We don't have time to look at this year monkeys that come next. He usually stopped at every cage and made an obscene comment aloud to himself. But today, the animals were only a form he had to get through. He hurried past the cages of monkeys, looking back two or three times to make sure Hazel Most was behind him. At the last of the monkey cages, he stopped as if he couldn't help himself. Look at that ape! he said, glaring. The animal had its back to him, gray except for a small pink seat. If I had an ass like that, he said prudishly, I'd sit on it. I wouldn't expose it to all these people come to this here park. Come on, we don't have to look at this here birds that come next. He ran past the cages of birds, 
And then he was at the end of the zoo. Now we don't need the car, he said going on ahead. We'll go right down that hill yonder through them trees. Hayes had stopped at the last cage of birds. Oh, Jesus, Enoch groaned. He stood and waved his arms wildly and shouted, Come on! But Hayes didn't move from where he was looking into the cage. Enoch ran back to him and grabbed him by the arm, but Hayes pushed him off and kept on looking in the cage. It was empty. Enoch stared. It's empty, he shouted. What y'all have to look in that old empty cage for? You come on. He stood there, sweating in purple. It's empty, he shouted. And then he saw that it wasn't empty. Over in one corner on the floor of the cage, there was an eye. The eye was in the middle of something that looked like a piece of mop sitting on an old rag. He squinted close to the wire and saw that the piece of mop was an owl with one eye open. It was looking directly at Hazel Moats. That there ain't nothing but an old hoot owl, he moaned. You've seen them things before. I am clean, Hayes said to the eye. He said it just the way he said it to the woman in the frosty bottle. The eye shut softly, and the owl turned its face to the wall. He done murdered somebody, Enoch thought to himself. Oh, sweet Jesus, come on, he wailed. I've got to show you this right now. He pulled him away but a few feet from the cage. Hayes stopped again, looking at something in the distance. Enoch's eyesight was very poor. He squinted and made out a figure far down the road behind them. There were two smaller figures jumping in either side of it. Hazel Motes turned back to him suddenly and said, What is this thing? Let me see it right now and get it over with. Come on. Ain't that where I've been trying to take you? Enoch said. He felt the perspiration drying on him, stinging and his skin was pinpointed even in his scalp. We got to cross this road and go down the hill. We got to go on foot, he said. Why? Hayes muttered. I don't know, Enoch said. He knew something was going to happen to him. His blood stopped beating. All the time it had been beating like drum noises, and now it had stopped. They started down the hill, it was a steep hill, full of trees painted white from the ground up four feet. They looked as if they had on ankle socks. He gripped Hazel Moats' arm. It gets damp as you go down, he said, looking around vaguely. Hazel Moats shook him off. In a second, Enoch gripped his arm again and stopped him. He pointed through the trees. Muvzevum, he said. The strange word made him shiver. That was the first time he had ever said it out loud. A piece of gray building was showing where he pointed. It grew larger as they went down the hill. Then as they came to the end of the wood, 
stepped out on the gravel driveway. It seemed to shrink suddenly. It was round and soot-colored. There were columns at the front of it, and in between each column there was an eyeless stone woman holding a pot on her head. A concrete band was over the columns, and the letters M V S E V M were cut into it. Enoch was afraid to pronounce the word again. We got to go up the steps and through the front door, he whispered. There were ten steps up to the porch. The door was wide and black. Enoch pushed it in cautiously and inserted his head in the crack. In a minute, he brought it out again and said, All right, go on in and walk easy. I don't want to wake up that there old guard. He ain't very friendly with me. He went into a dark hall that was heavy with the odor of linoleum and creosote and another odor behind these two. The third one was an undersmell, and Enoch couldn't name it as anything he had ever smelled before. There was nothing in the hall but two urns and an old man asleep in a straight chair against the wall. He had on the same kind of uniform as Enoch, and he looked like a dried-up spider stuck there. Enoch looked at Hazel most to see if he was smelling the undersmell. He looked as if he were. Enoch's blood began to beat again, urging him forward. He gripped Hazel's arm and tiptoed through the hall to another black door at the end of it. He cracked it a little and inserted his head in the crack. Then in a second he drew it out and crooked his finger in a gesture for Hayes to follow him. They went into another hall, like the last one, but running crosswise. It's in that first door yonder, Enoch said in a small voice. They went into a dark room full of glass cases. The glass cases covered the walls, and there were three coffin-like ones in the middle of the floor. The ones on the walls were full of birds, tilted on varnished sticks, and looking down with dried, piquant expressions. Come on, Enoch whispered. He went past the two cases in the middle of the floor and toward the third one. He went to the farthest end of it and stopped. He stood looking down with his neck thrust forward and his hands clutched together. Hazel Motes moved up beside him. The two of them stood there, Enoch rigid and Hazel Motes bent slightly forward. There were three bowls and a row of blunt weapons, and a man in the case. It was the man that Enoch was looking at. He was about three feet long. He was naked and a dried yellow color, and his eyes were drawn almost shut as if a giant block of steel were falling down on top of him. See that there notice? Enoch said in a church whisper, pointing to a typewritten card at the man's foot. It says... He was once as tall as you or me. Some Arabs did it to him in six months. He turned his head cautiously to see Hazel Motes. All he could tell was that Hazel Motes' eyes were on the shrunken man. He was bent forward so that his face was reflected in the glass top of the case. Reflection was pale, and the eyes were like two clean bullet holes. Enoch waited rigid. 
he heard footsteps in the hall. Oh, Jesus, he prayed. Let him hurry up and do whatever he's going to do. The woman with the two little boys came in the door. She had one by each hand, and she was grinning. Hazel Motes had not raised his eyes once from the shrunken man. The woman came toward them. She stopped on the other side of the case and looked down into it, and the reflection of her face appeared grinning on the glass over Hazel Motes's. She snickered and put two fingers in front of her teeth. The little boys were like pans set on either side to catch the grins that overflowed from her. Then Hayes saw her face on the glass. His neck jerked back and he made a noise. It might have come from the man inside the case. In a second, Enoch knew it had. Wait! He screamed and tore out of the room after Hazel Motes. He overtook him halfway up the hill. He caught him by the arm and swung him around and then stood there, suddenly weak and light as a balloon, and stared. Hazel Motes grabbed him by the shoulders and shook him. What is that address? he shouted. Give me that address! Even if Enoch had been sure what the address was, he couldn't thought of it then. He could not even stand up. As soon as Hazel Motes let him go, he fell backwards and landed against one of the white sock trees. He rolled over and laid stretched out on the ground with an exalted look on his face. He thought he was floating. A long way off, he saw the blue figure spring and pick up a rock, and he saw the wild face turn and the rock hurtled toward him. He shut his eyes tight and the rock hit him on the forehead. When he came to again, Hazel Motes was gone. He lay there a moment. He put his fingers to his forehead and then held them in front of his eyes. They were streaked with blood. He turned his head and saw a drop of blood on the ground. As he looked at it, he thought it widened like a little spring. He sat up, frozen-skinned, and put his finger in it. And very faintly, he could hear his blood beating, his secret blood in the center of the city. Then he knew that whatever was expected of him was only just the beginning.